Father, may we as a people be found on the right side of your justice in this wicked and unjust world with complete surrender to your authority. May we not foolishly attempt to add anything to your perfect will and sovereignty, and may we not be so foolish to attempt to take away either. In Jesus' name, amen. May our prayers continue with those who are dealing with a hurricane, it looks like in the St. Petersburg, Florida area. The Associated Press says Hurricane Ian rapidly intensified as it neared landfall along Florida's southwest coast Wednesday morning, gaining top winds of 155 miles per hour, just shy of the most dangerous Category 5 status. Damaging winds and rain lashed the state, and forecasters said the heavily populated Fort Myers area could be inundated by a storm surge of up to 18 feet. So our prayers be with all of the saints and people in this region. May God shield you, protect you, and bless you. However, as with all things to include our physical life, we are weighed in the balances to include the balances of God's justice. And I'm afraid that America across the board is found wanting within these balances, and therefore we are being divided and conquered. Therefore, the title of today's episode is Main Main Tickle, a Parson, episode number 271. Now, I believe that we are finding ourselves wanting when we begin to define that which is spiritual as political in political terms. We see this blurring of lines throughout our reading within the last couple of days. Therefore, I would like to start off by saying that my spirituality is not defined by my political posture or lack thereof. My political posture is defined by my spirituality in Christ, period. Now, if you get this wrong, if you get this backwards... You will find yourself or we will find ourselves in the shoes of the children of Israel that we read about in Judges 10 and verse 6. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines and forsook the Lord and served not him. Now, would anyone disagree that these gods were political and nationalistic in nature? So the question is, will the American churches cry out to God with the confession that consists of going after these political and nationalistic gods? Judges 10.10, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God but also served Balaam. So here we see that there is either a point of confession or there is a point of no return. This point of no return is also known as a reprobate mind in verse 13. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. We see the same point of no return in Romans chapter 1 and verse 28. 
And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So what is the bottom line? The bottom line is put away your political gods. Put away your political gods. Judges 10, 16, And they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul was greed for the misery of Israel. Thank God for his compassion and his love towards his people and the elect that was among Israel. And it is along with this very same elect that we can say along with the psalmist in Psalm 89, 17 and 18. For thou art the glory of their strength. In thy favor our horns shall be exalted for the Lord is our defense. And the Holy One of Israel is our king. There is no other king but King Jesus. Now I find it rather interesting to also find in our scheduled reading in Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 and 4, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords. And he drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king, the princes, wives, and concubines drank in them. They drank wine, and they praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Now eternity will tell whether Nebuchadnezzar taught these things to his son, Belshazzar, or Belshazzar didn't pay no mind to the Most High God that Nebuchadnezzar had praised in the previous chapters of Daniel. But here we see a political ruler marking their blasphemies with that which is spiritual, and then getting others to partake of it, getting them to take a sip from these sacred vessels so that they too can be complicit within these blasphemies. And as we see all of these blasphemies around us, that which is combining the spiritual with the political. Now do you know why I believe that the handwriting is on the wall? Daniel 5.5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against a candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now this writing, it troubled the king greatly as the word of God does. This writing was so mysterious, not even the astrologers that we're going to speak of today had the ability to interpret it. Verse 25 to 28, and this is the writing that was written, main, main, tekel, a parson. This is the interpretation of the thing. Main, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. It is here that we see again, as we see over and over and over again, that God is clearly the governor of the nations. It's also clear that his lane is not our lane. Notice that God gave Nebuchadnezzar a kingdom in verse 18. 
O thou king, the, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom. And majesty and glory and honor. But then pride became his destruction. So no wonder we read in Psalm 93, Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, you children of men. Now going back to Daniel chapter 5 and verse 20, we read, But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And that's it's here that I believe that we find the combination of that which is spiritual and that which is political in the pride of even Christian nationalism. I saw yesterday that Christian nationalism made its way to the trending section on Twitter following the installation of a new Zionist puppet in Italy. And all I can say is all according to the Zionist plan. And sometimes I wonder, is Gab part of the plan as they fall right into it with even writing a book called Christian Nationalism, Taking Dominion, a biblical guide to taking dominion. And at this point... I'm not sure how involved Gab is in it, but I will tell you this. I've been able to at least maintain my respect for E. Michael Jones, who is a Catholic writer and speaker. He had posted, Logos is rising in Italy as a response to a tweet from Malcolm Roberts. Wow, Italy's new prime minister, Giorgia Meloni, sums it up perfectly. No wonder the elites and establishment don't want her to succeed. And then I quote replied with an article entitled, I believe that the existence of Israel is vital and I will make every effort to invest in greater cooperation between our countries. And this was an article that was posted on Israel Haman, Hayam, uh, dot com with the sub with the uh, caption that says poised to become Italy's first woman prime minister. Georgia Maloney speaks with Israel Hayam saying Putin crossed the red line while dismissing the left's ridiculous accusations of fascism against her. So I had, quote, replied, uh, Culture Wars Twitter account, and then not too long after, he posts, Hold off! I'm breaking out the champagne. It's the same old conservative deal. I thought financial speculators was a code word for secularizing activists. I was wrong. That's why I respect the man. At least he stands for what he believes in, and he's not willing to say when he's wrong. And I believe it's this type of humbleness that gets us closer uh, to God. And so I continue to pray for E. Michael Jones and that he indeed has peace with Christ and Christ alone. Now, this is what I also know. I also know that Jesus did not preach the left or right. He didn't, re he didn't preach Republican or Democrat, black or white, democracy, or Christian nationalism. And this is where we go back to this divide and conquer as we are weighed in the balances and very well have been turned over to a reprobate mind. Uh, Sue Space on Gab replied, you're making me think you could be right. And I replied and I said, what is predominantly fed on Gab, uh, the platform, is the uh, side of the false dichotomy that preaches right, Republican, white, and now Christian nationalism. And it keeps feeding this 
Antichrist false flag narrative. It's all playing into the Antichrist's hands. But so be it. Uh, the Lord is in control. He's the one who holds the balances in his hands. I'm just trusting in him. I'm just eating popcorn and living by faith. While watching God be God, praise be to his holy name. Uh, Sue Space replied, says, agreed. She says, thanks for taking time with me. This is all in God's hands, but I must say you are doing more than just eating popcorn. You prayed on my behalf in the past, and I appreciate you very much. Have a great day. So if you want to make a difference spiritually, I think this is where it's at. Prayer. And even fasting if you're physically able to do so. But these, this political usurpation of rising up saying, I am going to do this. We need to be careful, my friends, on saying what we are going to do. And we're also going to cover that in our reading as well. As we read, we must keep in mind the Ephesians 6 spiritual war that you and I face and battle with daily in the spiritual realm. Yet there are those, to include these political factions, who define their spirituality by their level of involvement in politics. When Ephesians 6.12 clearly states, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I was just messaged within the last 24 hours, a message that states the age of Aquarius is a documentary you must watch. I think there is information here concerning Christian nationalism and that it is a manifestation of Satan's system before the flood. So this message caught my attention, and I began to dig into it this morning. And so I found the uh, video entitled Aquarius, The Age of Evil. And it's on YouTube, and you can find that yourselves. Uh, but the uh, video opens up with a man who says, The founding of the New Age movement can be traced back to the 19th century in theosophy. And this is the group that largely popularized this belief that we are heading out of the age of Pisces and into the astrological age of Aquarius, which to them will be an age of unity of humanity, an age of enlightenment, a spiritual age of consciousness, so to speak. A video on pause, and I wanted to dig a little bit deeper. There's an article that's posted on LinkedIn entitled, our transition from age of Pisces to Aquarius, what it means for businesses and the meaning of life. And in this article, there is a statement that says, we are departing the age of Pisces and entering the age of Aquarius, which astrologers claim parallels major changes in the development of Earth's inhabitants relating to human values, culture, society, and politics. Every person on planet Earth has been and will be affected by uh, this shift. Now, this article goes on to describe 12 astrological ages that coincide with 12 zodiac signs uh, that range in the 2,000 plus year range per age. And supposedly, we are now in the transition period to the Aquarius age. And each age is packaged with its own unique impact on humanity and society as a whole. Another paragraph in this article states, as astrologer Ray Grassi said, air, 
is the medium through which we communicate our thoughts and ideas and is most associated with rationality and thinking. What this means is that in, the, in this air, Aquarian age, we will witness major advances in humanity's intellectual growth. Terms like the information superhighway and information revolution are two examples of how the Aquarian influence has begun to propel each person towards more new knowledge and experiences. I want to point out uh, the biblical uh, references that are clearly here. I, I mean, starting with air, uh, that is defined by this astrologer as a means of communication, for we know who is the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2, where in time past you walked according to this course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Yet it's the spirit that these New Agers praise. Also notice the major advances in human and humanity's intellectual growth, along with the information superhighway that will be impacted by the Inquirian influence. And yet we read in Daniel. Uh, chapter 12 and verse 4, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. You also find that the irony uh, to, be, to being left wanting is that those who preach a political gospel will judge their success. Uh, based upon this knowledge gained, and then they will quantify it with numbers as they are completely oblivious to the Y gate that leads to destruction. So when even the Christian nationalists boast of an 80% of the Republican Party being on their behalf, do you think that your numbers impress me? <laughs> think again. And if we're going to number anything, we might want to start numbering the few days that we have. As the psalmist states in Psalm 90, 11, and 12, Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So it's when we begin to err from the simple task of numbering our days and being thankful for the day that is at hand that God has given us, we see that even David sinned against God as he went to establish strength and security in the numbers of the people. I believe this temptation is real. We see this today within the realm of social media, and we have seen this sin throughout consumer and commercial Christianity that looks for validation from outside sources than heaven and God. So we're all susceptible to this. None of us are above this, and we all should be aware of it. But biblically speaking, we know that this validation in numbers is untrue. It's false. It's vanity. It's misleading. And I believe that it, it is very disturbing to our all-sufficient God who fights our battles and provides for us completely to include our redemption. We just read about Gideon's 300, which alone is enough to prove this point, not to mention the work of our Lord on the cross. 
2 Samuel 24.10, And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. So here we see that David sinned. David acknowledges this sin, and it's here the great takeaway lesson is found. We are going to sin. Uh, the question is, do we double down in pride, or do we truly confess our sins, knowing he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Now, David knew the right answer to this, and I, and I, and I do believe that all of us deep down know the answer to this. And just because we are forgiven by the Lord, by the blood of the Lamb, this forgiveness does not always remove the earthly consequences. 2 Samuel 24, 12-13, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So, so Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or will thou flee thee three months before thy enemies? While they pursue thee, or that there be three days pestilence in thy land, now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. Now, we may not always get to, to choose the consequences, such as in this case, but the consequences came. There's no question of that. But how did David confront these consequences? He did so by faith, and he continued to trust in the Lord. He didn't get mad at God and turn his back upon God. He accepted. He took responsibility for his actions, and that's what a leader does. And then God, after David's faith was proven, released his people from the consequences. 2 Samuel 24, 25, And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land, and the plague was stayed from Israel. Now we can say, along with the psalmist as well, in, in Psalm 89, 8, O Lord God of hosts, who is strong, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. God is faithful to us. He loves us. And it's this truth that humbles me. And it's humbleness before the Lord that is absolute key. And sometimes we start off humble, but then we get just a little bit too prideful for our britches, that causes unnecessary and even overcommitment. Jephthah, we read about this overcommitment with Jephthah, an Israeli judge who came up from a humble upbringing as his biological mother was a prostitute. Judges 11.1, 1, now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was a son of a harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. Now this created a conflict within his family. And it caused him to leave at a later point. Judges 11, 2, 3, And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up. And they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. So then, there was war that was near, that was pending. And these same people that were involved in, his, in expelling this man wanted him to fight on their side, even as their captain. Judges 11, 5, 7, And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob, 
And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not you hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are you come unto me now when you are in distress? So here we see that Jephthah sought the Lord on this matter, on what to do, and he ended up becoming the captain in Israel's army. Judges 11.11, Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So here we see this man sought the Lord. And then he sought for diplomatic measures uh, to take place before the actual battle. Verse 12, And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou done to do with me, that thou art come against me to fight in my land? Now, prior to this unavoidable battle, this is where we see that Jephthah makes a mistake, as far as I can see, because he makes an unnecessary vow. He overcommits and to something that the Lord did not request. And it's here that we find that this unnecessary and overcommitment cost him dearly. Dearly. Uh, Judges 11.30-31, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Amen into my hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth to the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. This was overstepping. Why did he feel that he needed to do this? When God says that faith pleases him. All he had to do was keep trusting him for every step and every breath. He didn't have to add to this. Now Israel was granted victory, as the Lord does. <laughs> he delivered their enemies into their hands. But then Jephthah paid the price of his vow. In verse 39, And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man, and it was a custom in Israel. This is speaking of the daughter. He made a vow uh, to offer up as a burnt offering the whosoever that cameth forth of the doors of his house to meet him. And it was his daughter. He paid the price for his overcommitment. Now, this is what I know. I know that the Lord gives us enough instruction with detailed commands already without us having to create our own instructions in form of unnecessary vows saying, we are going to do this and we are going to take that and, and if this happens, we're going to do this. I'd be careful with this type of overcommitment com because we very well may be uh, sparking the anger of the Lord in doing so. In Psalm 90, verse 7 through 8, For we are consumed by thy anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. Let us not think that we're in control, that we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Now, speaking of overcommitting and taking matters into our own hand, we read of Adinijah today, who took it upon himself to become king upon David's death. But that didn't work out for him so well either. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 49-53, And all the guests that were with Ad, Ad, Adinijah 
were afraid and rose up and went every man his way. And Adinajah feared because of Solomon and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adinajah feared King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not a hair of him fall to the earth, but if his wickedness be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon set, and they brought him down from the altar, and he came and bowed himself to King Solomon. And Solomon said unto him, Go to thine house. So may we be very careful before we encroach upon someone else's kingdom. This includes, first and foremost, the kingdom of God. And if this warning in itself is not enough in itself, I would say take notes from a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now, did this king remain a pagan is left open to a debate as we are about to read his testimony concerning the Almighty. All I know is that God knows. Because we know that even today that the Lord's name is invoked for much political and personal gain. Even the demons praise God so that they could get their own way in Matthew 8:29 and behold they cried saying what have we to do with thee Jesus thou son of god art thou come hither to torment us before the time and then mark 5 5 through 7 and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones but when he saw Jesus afar off he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said what have i to do with thee Jesus thou son of the most high god I adjure thee by God that thou tor torment me not. So if Nebuchadnezzar added our high God, most high almighty God to his bag of rabbit foot gods, only God truly knows. We see that his son did. But this is what the king learned as we read Daniel chapter 4 about God of the Bible, the God of the Bible, the God of Daniel at the very least. This is what he learned and testified concerning the truth. Daniel 4, 1-3, Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. He says, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Notice that Nebuchadnezzar's experience with the God of the Bible taught him simple truth. Simple truth that many who call themselves Christians today fail to grasp, such as that God has an everlasting kingdom with a dominion that shows forth in all generations. Yet there are those today who say they are taking dominion and that they are responsible to bring in a kingdom, God's kingdom, with a dominion that they take. I find this very comical. I find this very sad at the very least because even Nebuchadnezzar along with the demons had more sense about who was really in control. Therefore, in conclusion, I feel that the psalmist has said it well in Psalm 89, 6-7, For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him, because he alone holds the balances. Main, main, 
tekel a parson. Psalm 90. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest return, you children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. And as a watch in the night, thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as sleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is it is their strength, labor, and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. I pray that this episode of Gospel was a blessing to you. And if you would like to become a team member of this Christ work, simply pray. Pray that God would use this podcast mightily for his glory. Share the episodes wherever you can and support with a subscription if you're able to do so. We are in this together, Christ friends. Keep up the good fight.